Performers of Evo, welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and got a great podcast for you guys. I am back in Las Vegas. I was in the most magical land ever, Disneyland, the last few days, so good to be back, and great to have Sean Paul of Making the Madness, that great podcast, along with the Field of 68. Joining me in the second segment, we're going to be talking about some of these COVID pauses, and then from there, we're also going to be talking about some of the marquee games that we're going to be seeing this weekend, the teams are going to be playing this Friday and Saturday, so we're going to have a great time there. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. We've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters EM, name does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Did get in one today, so let's dive in. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. I was asked when you wind up having teams that play each other for a second time, sometimes, as we know, during the college basketball season, that could wind up being a third time. If I wind up taking into account what we wound up seeing in the first game, if I take into account teams that played each other quite a bit the last few years as well, and absolutely, when it comes to something that we're going to be seeing today, South Alabama versus Tarleton State, this is actually going to be the second time this week that these two teams are going to be playing. They also want to play, I believe, on Tuesday the 14th, but it is something where I'm going to be taking a look at that past data. Now, when it comes to certain situations, I think that you're going to find a little bit more useful information from games that are played like this season as opposed to if you wind up having like some Big Ten slobber knocker going back to a previous season, which you have relatively the same roster, but at the same time, it was from a previous year, especially last year with everything going on with COVID-19, but I do take it that into account. There are some teams that they just match up very well with the team, other teams that they don't do it so well, and then when it comes down to these rematches, these games in which you wind up having like a rivalry like Clemson versus South Carolina, for instance, you can take the approach sometimes of, hey, this team wound up playing very tough. They wound up losing. There's going to be a little bit of revenge. And what I was mentioning a little bit earlier, just a team that has a bad matchup for another team, and you think that they're going to get blasted again after getting blasted the first time. So it is a lot to weigh into account when you do wind up seeing these teams play against each other, but it certainly goes into my handicap. When you do wind up having a rematch of a game that you wound up seeing earlier in the year, when you've got two like-minded teams that they perhaps play every year, or you wind up having these conference games starting up as well. So hopefully that answers the question. Really appreciate you firing that in. Now let's take a look back at what we wanted to see from college basketball on Thursday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It was a light slate of college basketball on Thursday, but you did wind up seeing one top 10 team be able to get a win and cover in Duke. 92 to 67 the final. I was on Appalachian State in the New York Post and I certainly didn't think that Duke was going to shoot 15 of 30 from three-point range. I've been razor efficient all season long. Only nine turnovers in this one. The big headliner, Wendell Moore, 21.6 assists, five rebounds. He's already got triple-double to his credit this season. And for Apple, I should say, Michael... Almarenzi was able to give you 17 points, but they weren't able to get a whole lot off their bench, and Duke, they were just able to impose their will. UNC Greensboro imposed their will on the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, a UMBC team that's been one of the better mid-majors with regards to offense at all of college basketball. Held up 51 points, 62-51. to 51. UNCG gets the win for UMBC. 
14 turnovers in this game. They just could not get their tempo. They went 7 of 25 from 3-point range. Jamonte Buckingham, he was able to chip in there 11.6 rebounds for UNC Greensboro. As Greensboro wins the rebound battle by kind of 37 to 28. Both of these teams, not necessarily a thing of beauty with Greensboro. 11 of 17 at the free throw line. And for UMBC, 8 of 15. So both left a little bit of something to be desired there. But a good win for Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones's team. So... That was a fascinating one. Charleston wound up playing, I believe, their second under of the year against Stetson, 67-59. Stetson was able to get their pace, and they were able to get the W for Stetson. What was big for them, getting a double-double off the bench off of Josh Smith, who, no, it's not the former number one overall pick of the NBA draft, but rather a gentleman doing a good job down low on that. You wound up having 23 points out of Christian Jones in this one for Stetson as well. as They were actually playing this game with Rob Perry not in the fold, so you got to give them some credit there. And for Charleston... 4 of 26 from 3-point range. That was just not a terrific effort there as you wound up having Charleston try to pump up their tempo. They were able to do a solid job on the glass winning the rebound battle by kind of 40 to 37, but clearly was not there in a battle of, I'm going to call what it is, two poop saints. Chicago State wound up docking off IUPUI by kind of 61 to 55. IUPUI, putting the PU in IUPUI is... They have played every one of their games, I believe, now to the under. And for IEPUI, they have yet to break 60 points on a D1 opponent. P.J. Maxwell had 20 points in this game. Went 3 of 4 from 3. The rest of the team, they went 4 of 15 from 3-point range. And aside from Mr. B.J. Maxwell, you wound up having IEPUI as a collective. Shoot 9 of 17 at the free throw line. Chicago State, 13 of 17 at the line. Turned out to be a little bit of a difference maker. And for Chicago State, 17 big points off the bench from Dominique Alexander as well to be able to pace away. So give Chicago State credit, especially with them winning the rebound battle 47-27. to That shows just how badly IEPUI is sunk. Tennessee State has actually been able to cover quite a few numbers as well. They wind up taking down Charleston Southern by a count of 78-75 to for Tennessee State. All of a sudden, they've got three straight covers after losing outright to Chicago State. But for Tennessee State, what you want to be noting in this game, Diedrich Boyd. A walking bucket for the team. 28 points, 8 boards. He went 6 of 13 from 3-point range. So that was something that you do like to see. You also like to see McNeese State being able to get covers as well. They wind up hanging around with UTEP 82-72. to 72. UTEP does wind up getting the win as they went 12 of 29 from 3-point range. With Sally Boehm being able to give you 23 points, 4 steals, 5 assists, 5 rebounds. So it's up the sad sheet. But when it comes to this McNeese State team, they've been able to do a relatively solid job down low this season. They win the rebound battle by kind of 34-28. to 20. 17 turnovers was a little bit costly, but they do have the medley of bacon. Brendan Medley Bacon, 10 points, 9 rebounds as they were able to hold in there, going 7 of 20 from 3-point range. Oral Roberts was able to get a win and cover over UT Arlington by kind of 71 to 62 and for Oral Roberts in this one. The big thing was they won this game with only getting 11 points off of Max Aismith. Now Aismith, 6 boards and 6 assists as well. But Francis Laces, 21 points, 11 boards. And then you wind up having Deshaun Weaver go 6 of 8 from 3. He winds up being able to get 18 points in total. And for UT Arlington, they went 5 of 17 from 3-point range. 14 of 32 for Oro Roberts, so certainly a difference maker there. Jackson State has been a relatively solid team, and they wind up covering against Drake by a count of 70 to 65, and for Drake, ever since they wound up getting a cover in their first game of the season. This is a team that has not covered since their opening game, so in their games against D1 competition, they are now 1-9 and nine against the spread. That 
for a team that coming into the year had the best cover rate in all of college basketball over the last three. So I find that to be very intriguing as Saquon Emphel was able to give Drake 17 points, 12 boards in a game that wound up going to overtime. And Javius McInnes, a double-double, 19 points and rebounds for a Jackson State team that in general has been solid. And if you take a look at the entirety of the SWAC, they have been cover machines. Samford has not been a cover machine. The Pac-12 in general has not been a cover machine. And Samford ends up having an incredibly close game with Dartmouth, a game in which I'll say they were probably really lucky just to get to overtime in, but they were able to get the outright win by a count of 89-78 to in. On some numbers, might have pushed if it wasn't for a very, very late bucket by Dartmouth. That's how crazy this game was. But at one point, Stanford was down 11 points in the second half. You did wind up seeing Jaden Dallaire be able to come through for Stanford and for Stanford. 13 of 25 at the free throw line. Just not going to cut it. But for Dallaire, he was able to chip in there 22 points, 6 rebounds. And you did wind up having Stanford win the rebound battle by a count of 45 to 31 for Dartmouth. They were able to get 22 points out of Torres Samuels. Brandon Berry, he went shipping in there 20 as well. Both gentlemen gave you six rebounds, but you just didn't have much outside of that, though. I will say, off the bench, you did wind up having Ryan Cornish be able to chip in there at 12 points. I believe that he wound up having the very late bucket to be able to help anyone that wound up having Dartmouth plus 13 get to the window. And for Dartmouth, 10 of 22 from three-point range, but Stanford did just enough going 6 of 17 at the free throw line. And when it comes to finding trends in college basketball right now, we haven't seen anything too demonstrative for the season. Everything's been relatively even, Steven. Typically, you see a little bit more with regards to home underdogs being able to come through. You typically see a little bit more as well in terms of being able to get unders. But as of right now, with regards to under rate, it is at 50.8%, 830 unders, 804 overs. And then if you take a look at home underdogs against the spread, 198 and 197 with 10 pushes. So a 50.1% cover rate. So we've been relatively equal there. And we need someone to be able to lend a little bit more since we are relatively equal with regards to those trends. We need a good deep dive. And being able to provide that next, that would be Sean Paul of Making the Madness, the great podcast there along the field in 68. Going to be looking forward to this weekend's game. Talking about how to gauge some of these teams with COVID-19 bosses as well. That's on the other side right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beast Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. 
I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man does a terrific job over there with the Mountain West Wire. He does a great job when it comes to his podcast as well, Making the Madness is That Podcast. Does some great work with regards to the field of 68 as well as it is Sean Paul joining me on the podcast. Has joined me quite a few times and always does a great job, and to be able to follow him on Twitter, that is at Sean Paul CBB. Sean is spelled S E A N. And Sean, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Greg. Always happy to be on. Always great to have you aboard. And what is not great is the fact that we've got quite a few games that are going to be canceled these next few days due to COVID 19. And it certainly is a little bit of a strange situation. And I think it's something that we've really got to be monitoring just because there are going to be teams now, once again, much like we wound up having last year with an unequal amount of games. And we saw it with regards to teams coming off of COVID pauses as well. Last year wound up not going so well for a lot of these teams. And as unfortunate as it is, seems as though this is back in our lives. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see what happens. There's definitely been a number of games for this weekend canceled. You look at the CBS Sports Classic games, sounds like Kentucky and North Carolina might play, but UCLA and Ohio State will not be playing. So it's not going to be the normal CBS Sports Classic like we thought we were going to have. There's been a number of other games canceled, some teams going on COVID pauses. Hopefully it doesn't end up being as bad as it was last year. We'll probably see this throughout the remainder of the season, but hopefully we're able to have a somewhat normal season still but there's a lot of unknowns right now that's for sure absolutely and what i think is really big is just being able to get the conference games in because the non-conference games i mean you want to be able to get all those in but they're far less important than when you wind up having these games that are between big 10 teams acc list goes on and on i think that that's a big concern right now maybe lop off a non-conference game or two so that way you're able to get in all of the games that are going to be mattering when it comes to seeding for conference tournaments. And at the end of the day, I'm a big mid-major guy. I love the one-bid leagues. But at the end of the day, their regular season most times isn't going to matter. It's just, you know, getting ready for the tournament, seeing how your team plays heading into your conference tournament because you're not going to be getting multi-bids more often than not. So hopefully there's not a lot of COVID pauses, but, you know, at least get us to the conference tournaments and hopefully that can go smoothly yep absolutely i think that that's the best thing that we can hope for as we do have sean paul making the madness joining me on the podcast and sean when it comes to what we're going to be seeing over the next two days because obviously friday is a little bit of a smaller card but you do have the hall of fame shootout as well is there a game or two that's really standing out to you just off the top that you're really going to be hyped up to see Man, I was pretty excited to see the CBS Sports Classic this weekend, but I guess, you know, like Tennessee-Memphis, that's going to be a good game this weekend. I'm excited to see that one. Yeah, I think that that's going to be an incredible one as well because you saw it with Memphis. They had been looking real bad prior to that game against Alabama. And then against Alabama, they were able to put it all together. And this is still a Memphis team that on paper, and on paper alone, you don't insert coaching, you don't insert any other outside factors. This is one of the most talented teams in all of college basketball, Memphis, but now they're going to be going up against a Tennessee team that 
turn seems over well. Memphis, as we know, that is their main kryptonite. So I think that this is going to be a very tough test for the Tigers. Yeah, and Memphis, they still don't have a true point guard, and they're facing a true point guard with Tennessee. They have Kennedy Chandler, one of the best freshman guards in the country, maybe just one of the best guards, period, in the country. But I'm curious to see what kind of role Imani Bates plays in this one. He sat for like the final 10 minutes against Alabama, and I think if Memphis wants to win, that's kind of what they're going to have to do. Play Imani Bates like 12 to 15 minutes, but it's clear he's not one of the best players on the team right now it's going to take some time he's going to get there I believe in the talent but at the end of the day your best player is DeAndre Williams and you need to make sure he's playing like your best player if you're going to be able to win this game on Saturday I agree with you and well hopefully we wind up seeing a little bit of a better one than we saw between IEPUI and Chicago State on Thursday I don't think that that's asking for too much as we do have Sean Paul of Megan the Madness joining me on the podcast and Sean another game for Saturday that I'm really curious in is a battle of top 25 teams. Got Gonzaga and Texas Tech doing battle up there in the great state of Arizona. And for Gonzaga, I feel like a lot of people wound up souring on them because they take the losses to Duke and Alabama. And I think that this is going to be a really important game for them because ever since they wound up having that blow to UCLA, from my view, they have not covered any of their last four games. But I still take a look at Gonzaga. With regards to sheer talent, I'd probably still put them at number one today. I wouldn't put them as my best team just because I do think that there are some things that Gonzaga needs to work out. But I think that when it's all said and done, this should still be a Final Four contender going up against a Texas Tech team that they themselves got a nice win over Tennessee in one of the more but ugly games we will ever see. I still think Gonzaga is the best team in the country. Like, obviously, like kind of like you said, I'm not going to rank them number one because they've lost some games where Baylor hasn't. But Gonzaga, I still think, is the best team in the country, and I think we're going to see that in this one. I really like what they have. And for Texas Tech, Mylik Wilson, who's been playing a lot of minutes at the point guard, is not playing in this one with an injury. So that's going to be a big-time blow. But I'm curious to see how Texas Tech's going to be able to defend Drew Timmy because the way they've been structuring their lineups, they've been starting games with Bryson Williams at the four and Kevin O'Banner at the five, neither of which are very good defenders. Bryson Williams is a bit of a better defender neither of them are going to be able to draw stop drew timmy so i think we could see a steady dose of marcus santos silva in this game but i'm not even sure he's gonna be able to stop drew timmy drew timmy might go for 30 in this one yeah i agree with you and when it comes to those bigs of gonzaga how would you stack them up against Purdue? because i do feel like when it comes to forward tandems that's obviously the best two in all of college basketball but they both do something very unique i think that these two guys on each team are really going to decide who winds up being the top team in all of college basketball when it's all said and done, because I've certainly got Purdue in my top three right now, even though Purdue wound up having a couple hiccups last week. But I take a look at those two teams. I think that they're just going to be wrecking shop. Yeah, they're both great, but they're different because you can play Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy together, where if you play Zach Eady and Travion Williams together, that's not going to work out most times because one of them's going to have to defend the perimeter. It's going to kind of clog up the lane, so they're not going to be able to get good post moves inside. So I think I would say overall Gonzaga's duo is better because they can play together. But if you're telling me like I have to pick either Williams or Edie or Timmy for 40 minutes, I'll probably take Williams slash Edie because they can both split 20 minutes where Timmy would be playing the 40 minutes by himself, if that makes sense. I agree with you. I do think that it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with both of these teams moving forward, but certainly they're going to be trying to build themselves up on their bigs as we do have Sean Paul making the madness joining me on the podcast and Sean 
when it comes to Friday. I do think that this Basketball Hall of Fame shootout is going to be a really good event. You've got a couple big games. Virginia Tech, St. Bonaventure, Liberty versus East Carolina. I think it's just going to be interesting in general. Richmond versus NC State, certainly on the docket as well. And then you've got Wake Forest versus Charlotte. And I take a look at this event, and I think that this could be a big statement for Wake Forest, just because when it comes to Wake Forest, they're a team that I feel like not a lot was expected from. I felt like they could be able to rise up a little bit this year. I didn't necessarily see a 10-1 start coming up. And when it comes down to it with Wake Forest, out of these eight teams I want to mention, I feel actually the best out of them right now, even though you do wind up having teams like Richmond and Virginia Tech in there, just because of the way that this team has been able to gel with Steve Forbes doing a great job of coaching these guys up. And St. Bonaventure. I would say I still think St. Bonaventure is probably the best team of that group, but Wake Forest has been really good to begin the season. They did have a close call the other day against VMI, but Alondis Williams dropped 36 points. He's been one of the best players in the ACC this season. Like you said, it'll be a big-time statement for Wake Forest. They look like the third-best team in the ACC at the moment. That's not saying a ton because of how bad the conference is. But if they're able to pull off some victories here in this event, they'll be able to bolster their NCAA tournament resume, and hopefully they don't have a ton of hiccups, no losing to Pittsburgh, no losing to Boston College. And if they don't do that, I think they could be a team that plays in the NCAA tournament. And when it comes to St. Bonaventure, you want to mention as well, the big question for me is, how is this team going to be looking in the backcourt? Because you have had Kyle Lofton out for the last three games, and that certainly has put the scene behind the eight ball a little bit with Kyle Lofton, just a very petty guy that's able to give you six assists per game, doesn't turn the ball over. And you can tell that the same Bonaventure team in general, not just on offense, but on defense, it's just not the same without him. Yeah, definitely would prefer that Kyle Lofton's playing in this one. I'm not sure if he is going to suit up this weekend, but if he does, that'd be a big time for St. Bonaventure. But we've seen that Jaron Holmes is a capable point guard if they need him to be. So I think if I think they could win some games because Jaron Holmes is able to be the point guard. Yep, and as of right now, this was from Chucky Maggio, who does a great job following St. Bonaventure. He is a game-time decision, so take that very accordingly, as we know of Sean Paul joining me on the podcast. And then, Sean, what I also think is going to be really intriguing is this East Carolina versus Liberty game, because when it comes down to it with Liberty, this is a team that you know what you're going to be able to get out of them. They're going to play very slow. They're going to be a solid three-point shooting team. They're going to look to make it a first to 60 style game wins, but East Carolina has actually caught my eye a little bit. They haven't played the world's greatest competition, but they are sitting here at eight and two. They've been able to do it in a wide variety of ways. I think that they've been able to get a little bit of unexpected production out of the backcourt, and then you're able to pair that up with Vance Jackson. And I do feel like you, you have something here. Not sure what your outlook on this game is, but I actually think that East Carolina is much more live than I would have thought coming into the year. Yeah, definitely. When you look at what East Carolina dealt with this offseason, losing Jaden Gardner, who was really their only good player last season in the big-time loss. But Vance Jackson, like you said, coming over from Arkansas has been a big-time player. But Tristan Newton is playing like a first-team All-AA all AAC player this season. He's been fantastic. A 6'5 wing that can really shoot the ball. He's athletic. He's going to be a big time player this season for ECU. And the one thing to note, I don't think he's playing in this one, but Winston Tabs, the Boston College transfer, hasn't played this season. He was a guy that I thought could be their leading scorer. So the fact that he hasn't played and at the same time, East Carolina has been pretty good. It's pretty surprising to me. I think that East Carolina has been a little bit of a shock in Liberty. Just what we always come to expect out of this team in the bottom 10 with regards to possessions per game, burying threes. So that's going to be a fun one. And I do think that the great state of Arizona is going to be able to provide some fun as well. St. Mary's versus San Diego State is going to be going down on Friday. It's a San Diego State team that 
I'll say they're just not the same as they used to be. Matt Bradley has been relatively solid, but if you take a look at them on a per possession basis, a bottom 80 team with regards to points, they've got a St. Mary's team that they have just looked all sorts of impressive. I did not expect what they were going to do in the Maui Invitational to wind up happening. It's a team that is finding themselves sending to a little bit of a tough loss a few weeks ago against Colorado State. Not sure how you wind up gauging this one, but I would give the edge to St. Mary's with the way that they've been mm-hmm. playing this year. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. St. Mary's and San Diego State are two of the best defensive teams in the country, but I do trust St. Mary's offense a little more because you know you have options. For San Diego State, it's really Matt Bradley or nothing. That's what we've seen this season. Bradley's gotten it going recently, but there isn't many guys that are scoring consistently, and one of the guys that was scoring consistently, Lamont Butler, he's dealing with an injury also, and I don't believe will be playing in this one. So without him... It'll be tough. I think you need Trey Pulliam or Keith Dinwiddie, a guy like that to really step up scoring-wise in this one alongside Matt Bradley if San Diego State's going to be able to pull off the big victory over St. Mary's. And then there's another team that's looking to be able to get a big victory. That'd be Furman. They had a chance a few days ago against North Carolina, and it was looking good for them through like the first 30 or so minutes, and then they just couldn't put the ball in the basket, and now they're playing a Mississippi State team that I would say that these teams are somewhat of opposites. When it comes to Furman, you do have one do-it-all player that's been absolutely terrific, Jalen Slauson. I think that he's actually got a triple-double to his credit this year. A Furman team that looks to push a tempo, shoot a bunch of threes. Then you've got Mississippi State. They're looking to go down low. They're looking to slow it down, play tough physical defense. And I think that this is one of the more intriguing games that we've got, not just for Friday, but just this weekend in general. Yeah, and Mississippi State, they're also a team that will probably be shorthanded because Tolu Smith is still dealing with an injury. So without him, that's going to be interesting to watch. Garrison Brooks has been solid this season. He's actually made more three-pointers this year than he did during his entire career at North Carolina. But the real difference for me here is Iverson Molinar. He's the best guard in this game, and he's one of the best guards in the country. So I think Mississippi State will be able to win, but the game could be pretty close. I agree with you, and something that is always great on this podcast, getting you on, Sean. I know that you're doing a terrific job with a wide variety of places, the Mountain West Wire, making the Madness podcast, the Field of 68, just the list goes on and on. So let the good people at home know how they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at SeanPaulCBB, and everything I do, you'll see it on there. So I think that's the best place to find me. John does an absolutely terrific job taking a look at all forms of basketball, mid-majors, low-majors. He has everything covered and always does a great job on this podcast. So big thanks to Sean for joining me right here on Coast to Coast. It's now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself as the middle generation. 
I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Pierce, And always a pleasure to get Sean Paul of Making the Madness on the podcast. Does an absolutely terrific job there, along with the field of 68, Mountain West Wire, list goes on and on. So, absolute pleasure. Now it is that time to podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. As per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits first, and then the games with six digits. Those are extra games in which are involving teams from, we'll call it what it is, smaller conferences like the Atlantic Sun, the SWAC. In the case of today, they are going to be at the bottom. So we're going to get things kicked off with... 851, 852 on the betting board. You've got St. Bonaventure. And the Bonnies are going to be playing against Virginia Tech. This is going to be for the Hall of Fame shootout out there in Charlotte, North Carolina, as we've got Virginia Tech find themselves a two and a half point favorite, and your Tarlins game is 129 and a half. I am making this line as if Kyle Lofton is not going to play, but I am going to be setting Virginia Tech here as a four-point favorite. If Lofton does play, he would be worth about two points to the line because I expect him to play, but not necessarily at 100% at full staff. He's more around three to three and a half, depending on the matchup. But I do take a look at this Virginia Tech team, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to get their positionless basketball style. You've got a guy in Justin Mutz that just does it all for this team. He's able to chip in there 10 points, seven and a half rebounds. He dishes out three assists. Solid three-point shooter. Kevi Aluma hasn't shot as many threes this season, but I think that he's going to have himself a day as well. 14 points, six half boards. You've got a Virginia Tech team that they shoot 39.5% from three, only 10.7 turnovers per game, so they've been rock solid there. And then you do take a look at this Bonnie Seaman. Jalen Attaway has been able to do a nice job in the backcourt along Jerron Holmes. These two guys have been able to combine for about 32 points. Both of these guys give you between 7 and 8 rebounds per game. Holmes to the point of Sean Paul who joined me a little bit earlier has dish out 5 assists per game. St. Bonaventure does shoot 79% at the free throw line, 34% from 3, but you can tell that this is an offense that they turn the ball over a little bit more when Kyle Lofton is off the court. Oshun, Oshuni, terrific down low. So they will give you 3 blocks, 10.7 boards, but you've got a very thin rotation even when Kyle Lofton 
after this out there. Dominic Welsh always needs to chip in there his right around 11 points per game. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Virginia Tech has a little bit of an upper hand. Like I said, with Virginia Tech, I'd be shrinking them to two if Kyle Lofton winds up playing. But as of right now, got them as a four-point favorite. Set this total at 130 as well. Both of these teams are relatively slow, but got a pair of teams that they hit their free throws. They don't necessarily turn the ball over a lot. So I think that you're going to get good, clean possession. So going over and laying it here with Virginia Tech. 853-854 on the bang board. NC State is going to be playing against Richmond from the Spectrum Center. As you've got Richmond at 2.5 point favorite and your tallest game is 140. I flipped it. I wound up making NC State a two-point favorite, so I'm willing to take them on the money line when it comes to NC State. Certainly has been a little bit tough without Manny Bates, but you do have Deron Sebron, who has really been one of the top players in all of college basketball. 20 points at 10.5 rebounds per game to go along with 2.2 assists, 2.8 steals per game. Now, NC State doesn't shoot it well from three as a collective as Sebron shoots under 20% from three, and then you do take a look at Richmond, and each of your top four scores shooting at least 36% from three-point range, but it's a little bit of a top-heavy team. Tyler Burton, Grant Golden. These guys have been terrific. They've been able to give you a combined about 34 points per game. They're both combining for 12 boards. Golden at 6 for 10 has been able to give out 4 assists to his credit, but you take a look at this Richmond team outside of these guys. It's been a little bit tough for them as they shoot 63% of the free throw line. Now, you've got Jacob Gilliard who leads all of college basketball with regards to seals per game for a career now. He's been able to get 3.5 seals, 5.5 assists, 12 points per game, but was expecting more of those ancillary pieces in the backcourt, like a Curtis Crabtree, Nick Sherrod to be able to step up. These two guys are combining for right around 11 points per game, and then you take a look at NC State, and they've been able to lend a little bit more help to Sebron recently. You've been able to have Cam Ace and Casey Marcel both give you between 11 and 12 points per game with Marcel. He did wind up missing a little bit of time, but returned in that game against Purdue. Should be at full strength once again. Jericho Helms has been able to give you 14 points, 4.5 boards. It's an NC State team that doesn't do the world's greatest job on the glass, but at the same time, they are going to be facing off against a Richmond team that they themselves don't, and with Richmond, certainly not an efficient defense. I did wind up saying this sold at 144 as a result, because I do think that NC State going to get a little bit more of their up-tempo style, so going over and made NC State a two-point favorite, so taking NC State on the money line. 855-856 on the bank board, you've got Mississippi State, and they're going to be playing us at Furman. Furman finds themselves in a nap-point underdog with your total on game 138. When it comes to Furman, it's a team that overall this year has been absolutely terrific at putting the ball in the basket since the last few minutes of that North Carolina game, but you do take a look at this team and Jalen Slauson is a good, versatile player. He's been able to give the team 16.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 4 assists. Someone that shoots right around 32% for 3 with 2 blocks and 2 steals per game. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Mississippi State and they have been dealing with some ailments with Tolu Smith all season long. When it comes to Tolu Smith, a guy that is very capable of giving you right around 7 boards and 10 plus points per game. Garrison Brooks has had a whole it down down low as a result. 11.7 rebounds per game when it comes to Mississippi State. They're shooting about 36% from three-point range even with Iverson Molinar. Shooting sub 30% from three, but with Molinar, shoots 95% the free throw line. Overall, this is a Mississippi State team that shoots 74.6% the line. 12 se- 12 turnovers per game, not necessarily too bad. Molinar, he himself, gives you right around 16 points per game, so he's going to be a big cog for the team moving forward, but when I take a look at this spot, I am seeing a couple straight nines out there. At a nine, I'd be willing to take it with Furman, because out there in the backcourt you do have Alex Hunter. He does a great job with an assist-to-turnover ratio that is north of three to go along with his 18 points per game. Mike Bothwell, 16 points per game with Hunter. Shoots 48% from three. Furman overall shoots 38.5% from three-point range. 72% the free-throw line. They go up tempo, but they don't necessarily turn the ball over a lot. With regards to assists on a per-game basis, one of the best teams at all of college basketball is they've got six different guys giving out at least two assists per game that leads off 
of college basketball. So I do take a look at this spot at a nine. I'd be willing to take a look at Furman at eight and a half as well because we're seeing mostly eight and a half with a couple straight nines. At eight and a half, I would take the points with Furman before I would lay it with Mississippi State. And I do think that Furman gets their style. You saw them in the first 30 minutes get their style against North Carolina. They just went cold from there. I don't think that you're going to see a repeat of this. So taking the points with Furman, said this all at 146 and a half as well. So going over 857, 858 on the bank board. You've got Creighton and they're going to be playing us Villanova. Wildcats are anywhere between five and a half and six and a half point favorites. And your total game is anywhere between 130 and 130 and a half. When it comes to Villanova, I wound up setting them as a favorite of six and a half. So I'm willing to lay the six here with them when it comes to Creighton. It's just not a team that you'd expect from Greg McDermott. They have been a little bit anemic on offense. Now, I will say, Ryan Emmer has been able to do a solid job as a freshman. This is someone that's able to give you 12.5 points, 5 assists, shooting 42% from 3, but Creighton overall, they shoot 69% of the free throw line, 30.3% from 3, despite being outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game, 14 turnovers per game, so that's a little bit of an issue. And you got a Villanova team that has been able to do a better job of being able to generate turnovers than they have in past seasons. They're shooting as a collective about 38% per three, 77% the free throw line, and 9.1 turnovers per game. So, they have been rock solid with regards to not turning it over with Colin Gillespie leading the way. He's been able to give the team 16 points, 3.5 assists, a 1.5 turnovers per game, and then you've been able to get more out of Justin Moore, 15.5 points per game. You take a look at Villanova, and among their top six scores, one guy shoots below 35.7% from three-point range, and that would be Jermaine Samuels, who's been able to give the team 11.6 rebounds per game. Now, Crane, a little bit better down low. I do like what Ryan Kalkbrenner has been able to do for this team. 12 that point, six half rebounds per game as a seven foot one traditional post player, Ryan Hawkins. He's a little bit more of a versatile guy. 14 points, seven boards, shoots 36 half percent from three point range. But I do have my question marks when it comes to the depth of this team. You don't necessarily have a lot in the backcourt outside of your starters trail. Alexander's been able to give you four points per game, and Phil Villanova doesn't necessarily have a ton of depth. They sort of know who they are. You've got a lot of veteran guys that I think are going to be able to control this game. Set the total at 136 and a half. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a slower game, but I do think the Villanova, after two just Hellaciously bad shooting performances are going to be able to get it going against a Crane team that is quite honestly not necessarily stout on defense. And I do think that you wind up getting late game following. So going over and willing to lay the six here when it comes to Villanova. 859-860 on the banging board. You got UT San Antonio and the Roadrunners as we give our ode to Roadrunners here. Meep, meep. They're going to be playing us to UT Rio Grande Valley. UT Rio Grande Valleys find themselves a 49 point underdog. And your tallest game is between 151 and 151 and a half. And when it comes to Grand Valley, it's a team that has really been looking to kick it up tempo. They're in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. UT San Antonio has been playing a tad bit slower, so I did wind up settling on a total of 144.5. And with UT San Antonio, I do feel like they should be a favorite of six points. The big thing when it comes to UT San Antonio is I do like what you're able to get down low out of this team. A team that just year in and year out, they've always been controlled by their backcourt, but Dio Diang has been able to give you 17.5 points per game as a 6 of 5 duel, a little bit of everything sort of guy. Shooting 75% the line, he's able to give you 1.3 CLs per game, and then Justin Johnson has done it all for UT Rio Grande Valley. How about 18 points, 6 boards, shooting 46% from 3-point range, but what are you able to get outside of him? This is a UT Rio Grande Valley team that they're turning the ball over 16 times per game. You've had Ricky Nelson be able to shoot 65% from 3, but we're going to call it what it is. That is not sustainable with his 11.5 points, 5 assists per game. You've been dealing with a couple of injuries up front as well. Laquan Butler is someone that wanted missing a few games. He's returned and he's looked okay, but he has scored in single figures in each out of the team's last four games. You've had Marik Nelson wind up missing a pair of games as well. He returned against Texas Southern and he wound up having 9 points, so nothing great, nothing terrible. Mike Aduanimi is able to give you 8.6 rebounds per game, but when it comes to UT San Antonio, Jacob Germany is able to do a nice job down low for the team. 13 points, 5.5 rebounds. Guy that's able to shoot threes, 
doesn't necessarily shoot it well, but also with UT San Antonio, among their top five scores, four of them shoot at least 75% at the free throw line. Cedric Alley Jr. wound up coming in from Houston, nine and a half points, right around eight boards, so he's able to do a rock solid job there. And when it comes to UT San Antonio, they only shoot about 29 and a half percent from three point range, but they've got one good sharpshooter in Jordan Curdy Ivy, who's been able to give you 14 points. He's been shooting right around 40% from three point range. I think that he's going to be an X factor in this game. Set the total at 144.5, so diving under. Won't we'll lay up to six here when it comes to the Roadrunners, so we're going to be laying the points. 861, 862 on the betting board. South Alabama is going to be in the road to face off against Tarleton State. Tarleton State finds themselves as a two point underdog in your tallest game, is anywhere between 126.5 and 127. If this game sounds familiar from a few days ago, well, congratulations. That's because it is. Because South Alabama at Tarleton State played literally, I believe it is like three days ago. They played on the 14th, so it has not been very long. And you take a look at what wound up happening in that game. You wound up having... South Alabama go 20 of 29 from the free throw line to be able to win the game and I do think that you're going to get a slow and controlled game. Neither of these teams really look to their bench too much. When it comes to South Alabama they do have the best player coming off of either bench in Deontay Smith who's been able to give the team 9 points, 4.5 rebounds per game but I do think that South Alabama is going to be able to do what they wound up doing the last time around and that's be able to do a nice job on the glass. They won that rebound battle by a count of 40 to 23 Tarleton State. One of the worst teams with regards to rebound rating all of college basketball. Tarleton State lost that game a few days ago Monterey Gibson and Tosh Mall combining for 39 points. So that's a little bit of a black eye now, Tarleton State. I do expect to shoot a little bit better than 4 of 17 from 3-point range, but overall this year, they're shooting 25% from distance, 76.5% at 3 line, and I do think that they're going to be able to rein it in with regards to turnovers. You wound up having South Alabama commit 22 of them as J.J. Chandler and Charles Manning combined for 30 points to go along with 11 turnovers. You did have Manning be able to go out for 5 assists and 8 boards as well. I think that he might be the best player in this game, and then Javon Franklin is solid down low, 14 points, 9 rebounds in the last game overall this season. He's been able to give the team 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds. You know that Tarleton State is going to be out for revenge, but I don't think that South Alabama is going to be allowing for it. You just take a look at the South Alabama team. They have really been rolling ever since they wound up getting a scare from Texas A&M Commerce, a non-D1 school. That was a little bit of a wake-up call for them. I do think that you wind up getting late game following in this one, but Tarleton State in the bottom 20 with regards to possessions per game. South Alabama has actually kicked it up a little bit more this year, but at their core, a little bit of a slower team as well. So, set this all at 125.5. I'm going to be going under. I set South Alabama as a 3.5 point favorite, so want to lay the points. 863, 864 on the betting board. Charlotte is going to be hitting the road to face off against Wake Forest at the Spectrum Center, so technically a neutral court game out there in Charlotte, ironically enough, and comes to Wake Forest. Got them as a 10-point favorite on the board with your total 142. I said Wake Forest as an 11-point favorite, so I am willing to lay the 10 in this spot. I was talking about it with our good friend Sean Paul, and you've got Williams and Williamson. Alondis Williams has been able to give the same 19.5 points, 6 half boards, 5 assists, shooting 35% for 3. Jake Lariva has been able to chip in their 14 points and 6 boards with his six foot eight size while shooting 50%, but then you've got Davion Williamson shooting 95% the free throw line, 40.5% for 3, 14 points per game. You do have a little bit of a fall from there, but Isaiah Musias is able to give you right around 8.5 points per game. Dallas Walton, the 7-footer from Colorado, is able to chip in their 5.5 rebounds per game, and I just don't know how Charlotte is going to be able to hold up on the glass. You've got a Charlotte team that you've got Jameer Young and Austin Butler combining for 12 rebounds per game with Jameer Young, by far the best scorer on this team. This is a Charlotte team that they rank in the bottom 100 with regards to possessions per game, and yet he still gets 19.5 points per game overall. Charlotte shoots 81.5% for free throw and 35.5% for three, so they're rock solid there, but 
even though they play slow, they don't play great basketball on the defensive side. And a big reason why, Robert Braswell, who winds up coming in from Syracuse, he shot the ball well, shooting 46% for three as a six-foot, six-ish combo player, but eight points and one rebound per game. You need a little bit more, and this is a Charlotte team that they don't necessarily have a deep rotation. You do have Clyde Trapp, who comes in from Clemson, 10 points, six points per game, so he's been able to do a nice job there, but when it's all said and done, Wake Forest, I think is going to be able to come at them with a little bit more depth. Wake Forest has been looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. Charlotte, they're playing a little bit more slow, so I do mind saying this all at 131. Steve Forbes has always been known for being able to coach some good defense, and I think that Charlotte is going to get held down in this spot, so one delay up to 11 here with Wake Forest laying the points and taking a look at the under. 865-866 on the banking board for us. I'll say it's going to be playing with Cal Poly. Cal Poly is finding themselves as 14.5 point underdogs. Draws game is the lowest one that you're going to find if we've got a couple low ones. Anywhere between 116 and 117, and I think we've went a little bit too far. Set the total 125 now. I don't expect Cal Poly to be getting north of 70 like they wound up getting against the Pilots of Portland a couple days ago, but I do think that you're going to see a little bit more of an up-tempo game because you do have a Cal Poly team that you've got Alamami Karama, someone that stands right around 6'8", has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, has been able to do a nice job of being able to pump in there right around 13 points, four and a half rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a good job for this team, but then you've got Orlando Robinson, the seven-footer for Fresno State, who's given the team 18 and a half points, Half rebounds, three assists, shooting only about 28% for three, but real luxury to have a seven footer that's able to pop threes, two blocks per game. This is a Fresno State team that I have upgraded quite a bit as well because you now have back in the fold Jamero Baker, someone that wanted missing first couple games of the season in his last game back. He came off the bench against UC Irvine and he was the reason why the team won. He wound up having 18 points in 27 minutes, so having him back is big because now he's able to complement Jordan Campbell and Isaiah Hill. A pair of guys give you between nine and nine and a half points per game. Hill's been able to give you two and a half assists per game, but I mean, this is a guy in Jermail Baker who was able to score double figures while he was at Arizona last year, began his career at Kentucky, so that is a very good get for this team, though I do think that Cal Poly is going to be able to hold within this number. Cal Poly, not necessarily great on the glass, but you do have Trevin Taylor at 6'6". Six six. He does a good job of being able to pack the stat sheet. 8.5.6 rebounds per game. you got Cal Poly. That's a collective only shooting about 31% for three, but the defense has been a little bit better. Jacob Davison has been out of the fold for this team the last few games. He's been able to give the team right around 12 points per game, so having him back in that game against Portland, scoring 17 points, I feel like was very critical for this team, so I do take a look at it. I I do think that Fresno State is going to be the better team, but I think that we went a little bit too low on this total. Set it at a 125, so I'm going to be going over. And set Fresno State as a 12.5 point favorite, so here at two touchdowns and the hook, going to be taking the points with Cal Poly at 14.5. 867, 868 is the New York Post play of the day as you've got St. Mary's and they're going to be playing against San Diego State out there at the Footprint Center in Arizona. You've got St. Mary's find themselves a 1 to 2 point favorite depending on where you look and your Toronto's game is anywhere between 118.5 and 119.5. I said St. Mary's is a 5.5 point favorite so I'm making them the New York Post play of the day. I was talking about with Sean Paul. The fact that the San Diego State team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, they rank in the bottom 100 in all of college basketball. It's been Matt Bradley and really nobody else for the scene. Bradley has been able to do a very solid job. He's chipping in there 15 points per game, but the three-point shooting with even he has been way off, only shooting about 26% for three. San Diego State is collective. Shoots 66% the free throw line, 29% for three. And I will say, for St. Mary's, it's not like they're absolutely amazing when it comes to putting the ball in the basket, but they shoot 34% for three, 69.5% the free throw line. You've got a pair of guys in Dan Fotu along with Matthias Toss, who both give you 11.6 points per game. They combine for 10 boards, so you've got some 
good balance when it comes to the seam. You've got guys like Tommy Cousy. You're able to throw in there someone like a Logan Johnson that both give you between 9 and 10 points per game, 3.5 rebounds. It truly is a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach when it comes to St. Mary's. Then you've got a San Diego State team that they don't necessarily have a ton down low outside of Nathan Mensa. It's been able to give the team 7.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. Kyle Bowen on the other side has been able to give the St. Mary's team right around 6.5 rebounds per game. I think that he's going to be able to hold up at the point of attack. And when it comes down to it, you're going to need a little bit more in the backcourt out of Trey Pulliam. He's been able to do a solid job for San Diego State with regards to scoring recently with double figures in three of the team's last four games, but three assists or fewer in those games as well. So that's a little bit of an issue. I think that St. Mary's matches up very well with San Diego State. It's going to be a battle of two mid-majors that we always love to see out there in the West Coast. And I do think that St. Mary's winds up getting the best of this one, set them as a five and a half point favorite. I think that with this being probably about a five to six point game with a minute left to go, you are going to be getting late game felling. So I also set this all at 124. So we'll to go over as well. 869, 870 on the bang board. Portland is going to be playing us to San Jose State. San Jose State is finding themselves as a two-point underdog in your Tallinn's game is anywhere between 143.5 and 144.5. I wound up setting this line at a 1.5. This opened up with Portland laying a point. At 1, I'd be willing to lay it with Portland. At 2, I would actually be taking the points with San Jose State. I want to make this a point and a half personally, so I think that this is going to be coming down to the very bitter end when it comes to San Jose State. I do feel like, with regards to talented talent alone, they've got a little bit of a leg up. Ibrima Diallo winds up coming in from Ohio State. He's been able to do a great job giving the team 8.5 rebounds per game. Omari Moore, 15.5 points per game. He's able to shoot 61% three. Problem is, he does turn the ball for three and a half times per game. A little bit of an issue when it comes to the San Jose State team. San Jose State has not necessarily been efficient on defense. Portland has been able to kick it up a little bit with regards to their defense. And I do feel like they've got a little bit more explosiveness with their big three. You've got Tyler Robertson, Chris Austin, Moses Wood combining for 45.3 points per game. You've got these three guys also combining for in the neighborhood about 17 rebounds per game. Austin and Wood both shoot 40 plus percent from three point range as well. Portland has a collective 81.5% free throw shooting team. They shoot 36% from three, and they are in the top 20 in all of college basketball with regards to the percentage of points that come from the free throw line. San Jose State has been a team that has been following quite a bit as well, so they are going to allow teams to get to the free throw line. San Jose State does shoot 66% on the free throw line, and that plays a little bit into this handicap. I do think that things are going to be close late. Portland is a team that I have a little bit more faith in to be able to hit their free throws, even though I do think that San Jose State might have a little bit more raw talent, which is why I did mind saying this line at one and a half. At two, I'd be willing to take the points with San Jose State. At one, I'd be willing to lay it with Portland, so I land right on that. I said this all at 137.5. I do think that things are going to be a tad bit more slowed down with a pair of teams going through a coaching change. So we're going to be diving under and I'm going to be taking the two here with San Jose State as things shake out right now. 871, 872 is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games, and that'd be North Dakota State and the road to face off against Pacific. Pacific is a 2.5 point favorite, and your tallest game is anywhere between 125 and 125.5 for Pacific. Jeremiah Bailey has been absolutely terrific for this team. He does a great job of being able to give the team right around 13 to 14 points per game. A guy that is a solid 3-point shooter. He's not necessarily going to be a guy that winds up when it's all said and done shooting like 40 plus percent for 3-point range, but certainly gives the team good versatility at right around 65, 6 foot 6 and then you've got Rocky Cruiser on the other side for North Dakota State, saying 6 foot 10, 13 and a half points, 8 and a half rebounds, shooting 40% from three point range. So that has been absolutely tremendous for this team. Now, with North Dakota State, you don't necessarily have one main facilitator, though Tyree Eady has been able to give you right around 2.8 assists per game. He's been able to do a good job of being able to pump in there 7 points per game as well. Sam Greasel has been out of the fold quite a bit recently, but he returned in that game against Indiana State and he returned with a vengeance. 25 points, 5 assists. 8 rebounds, so that is certainly a game changer for North Dakota State, and it's a big reason why I wanted to making a little bit of a move on this game, because before 
I knew of Greasel being in this game. I was thinking that Pacific would be more around a three and a half to a four point favorite. I adjusted the sound to one and a half. So here in this spot, it's sort of like what we wound up seeing with the San Jose State versus Portland game a minute ago. I'm willing to take the points with North Dakota State, not necessarily the money line because North Dakota State, they do shoot 75% the free throw line. They do shoot only about 33% for three in Pacific. They shoot 65% at the free throw line. So I do feel like if you wind up having like a four point game with a minute left to go, it could be a spot in which you wind up seeing a blown cover when it comes to Pacific and Pacific has been dealing with Luke Andovich being out of the fold. Sharpshooter has been able to shoot 50% for three with 10 points per game. Comes over from Northern Arizona. He's been a little bit banged up now. I will say, Nick Blake has been able to come on for this team recently. Double figures in each of the team's last two games with a combined eight assists. And those two as well comes in from UNLV. He's been able to do a good job. Pierre Crockerell is able to give you four and a half assists to right around two and a half turnovers per game as well. But I think that North Dakota State, with their slow, methodical style, is certainly going to be wearing down on Pacific, but even though North Dakota State is a little bit more methodical, we saw it in that game against Indiana State, where they were able to kick up their tempo, do a great job of it. Neither of these teams necessarily come away with a bunch of steals, especially North Dakota State with a 4.3 per contest, so I think that you wind up getting a lot of clean possessions at this all in 131.5, so I'm willing to go over. Except Pacific is a 1.5 point favorite, so going to take 2.5 here when it comes to North Dakota State. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but they're are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. Just two of them today, and we go in Las Vegas rotation order. 306-101-306-102. This is from Charlotte, as you got Liberty and East Carolina. East Carolina is between a 3 and 3.5 and point underdog, and your total on this game is 128.5. We were talking about this game with Sean Paul, and very interesting to see the contrast of styles, but I do think that Liberty is going to be able to have their way in this one. I set this total at 126 with regards to possessions on a per-game basis. Once again, in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball, and they've actually got the best score out there on the floor. That'd be Darius McGee. 19 points per game. He's able to give out 2.5 assists, shooting 37.5% per three-point range, 1.7 steals per game as well. You take a look at East Carolina, Vance Jackson is someone that stands right around six foot nine. has played at like literally 37 different schools. 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, shoots 37% for three. Overall, East Carolina shoots 38% for three, but Liberty, after they had a little bit of a rough time guarding the three-point arc at the beginning of the season, they've been able to really shape up with that regard recently. J.J. Miles, along Tremont, Robinson White are able to combine for 17 points. Both of these guys shoot 40 plus percent for three-point range. Tristan Newton, 18 points, five assists, three and a half boards, a steal and a half per game, when it comes to steals, East Carolina is generating right around 7.5 per contest, but what I think is going to be key for Liberty, doing a solid job down low. You do have Blake Preston, who's able to give you 6 points, 5.5 rebounds. He's hit every one of his threes, which shows you the small sample size there. You don't necessarily have a ton of guys that do a great job down low, but I do think that Kyle Rode, a guy that last year had right around 4 boards per game, is going to be able to pick it up a little bit. He's had just 3.7 rebounds per game. He seems to be dealing with a little bit of an ailment, but along with his rebounding, he's had 2 plus assists in each of the team's last 5 games, so he's been a very good cog for this team, a guy with size that is able to find people that are wide open and get them good looks and then keep again McDowell as well is someone that has been solved for this Liberty team at least 12 points in four of the team's last five games shooting 47.5% for three 12 points per game I think it's going to be a little bit too much for East Carolina I think that East Carolina is going to have a tough time on this Liberty defense as well so I made Liberty a six point favorite willing to lay the points I think that Liberty slows this game down to a crawl cuts off the three point arc for East Carolina so set this all at 126 diving under and we wrap things up with 306 103 306 104 Santa Clara is going to be playing us Florida A&M. A&M is an 18-point underdog and your tallest game is 140. I made this an 11.5-point line. Now, the good news for Santa Clara is that Joseph Varankic is back in. In his first game back, 
The team clearly needed him. They wound up losing the game to Boise State, but in that game, he wound up being the team's top scorer, and he was clearly missed. As this is a guy that in that game had 12 points in 23 minutes, and got to figure that the workload is going to be kicking up a little bit more as he's coming back from mono. But you do have someone that is able to give you right around 19 points, four boards, and four assists per game in Jalen Williams. He's shooting 38% from three-point range. P.J. Pipes shooting more around 35% from distance. He gives up four assists, 11 points per game with regards to facilitation. This is a very good Santa Clara team, but with Florida A&M, they just know who they are. With regards to three-point shot attempts, points made from threes, you're able to just take a look at any three-point shooting metric in general. They're going to be towards the bottom of all of college basketball. You shoot as a collective 26% from three, but they get the ball in down low. They shoot 75% the free throw line. MJ Randolph, substance stat sheet, 18 points, six half rebounds, three and a half assists, 2.7 steals per game, all while being relatively efficient. Florida A&M only turns the ball for 12 times per game. They do go a little bit more slow, but I do like what you're able to get out there with Cameron Reeves being able to help out in the backcourt. He's been able to give the team a combined 29 points in their last three games, and that despite a goose egg in the game against Cincinnati a couple days ago, so he's been able to emerge with regards to his offense. Down low, Bryce Moranje has been able to give you 7.5 rebounds per game. He stands right around 6 foot 5, so he's not afraid to get his nose dirty, which is going to be very beneficial for the team, and Florida A&M, they wind up generating right around 8 steals per game as well. Moranje was able to give you right around 2.5 of those per contest, and what I think is going to be key for Florida A&M hanging in there is Jalen Spear, another guard that has been shooting only about 29% from 3, but 9 Nine and a half points, two assists, three boards per game. He's been in a little bit of a funk recently. Single digits in three of the team's last four games. So I think that he's going to be a bust out in this spot. And I did wind up setting the total at 133 and a half because I do think the Florida AM slowed things down. I think that they're going to do a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc and just cut off passing lanes for Santa Clara. So I'm going to be diving under. Since Santa Clara is an 11 and a half point favorite. So we'll have to take 18 here with Florida AM. And that will wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops. Big thanks to Sean Paul of Making the Madness, the podcast along with the field of 68 for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're up to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, got one of two ways to be able to find those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind, letters here. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. And I will be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means Coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.